Hey everybody, I'm Phil and it's Del Toro time. It's Del Toro time. It's a little Del Toro time update and a brief discussion about a short story. Why the update? Because as you've probably noticed, there've been larger and larger gaps between episodes. And part of the reason for that is that of course, Willow is in college and has a lot of work to do, a huge workload. So sometimes squeezing in movies and recording times is very difficult, especially on the weekends, because she also has a massive strangely massive number of D&D groups she participates in and then also just needs downtime. It doesn't need to be you know, constantly scheduled to do things like a podcast. So, you know, we, we, we've we always worked around that. If you've been listening to the show, you know that there's work. We, we have to work around her schedule. But also she's been preparing for a trip overseas, which she is leaving for in a few days time. So she will be out of the country. And so obviously we're not going to be watching a recording while she's out of the country. But the lead in to her being out of the country has been a bit of a of a uh, of a time, you know, suck as well. She's needed time to finish up assignments, uh, get ready to leave, make sure she has everything together, and just kind of get into the right headspace for uh, going to a foreign land uh, overseas for, you know, like a week and a half. So that, too, has caused us to not uh, be able to record and watch movies as much as we wish we were able to. I just wanted to put that out there. Obviously, if you are if you listen to this show, you're used to our release schedule being somewhat sporadic, so you probably weren't even confused by it. But I, I felt you deserved a little bit of an explanation and a little bit of a heads up that things are just going to be a little wonky and choppy and iffy and here and there for a while. But I didn't want to leave you with nothing. I wanted to make sure that you were able to pop open your, crack open a can of podcasts and enjoy at least something. And since this is actually relevant to a movie that will be coming up in the future, I wanted to cover a short story. Uh, and the short story I wanted to cover today is The Quiet Boy by Nick and Tosca. And Tosca? And Tosca. Uh, because we will be covering the movie Antlers in a few episodes' time. And Antlers is based on the short story The Quiet Boy. And uh, this, is, this is easy. This is an easy one for me to touch on because it's very short. It's, a, in my opinion, a perfect short story. And uh, it's easy for you to get your hands on. So I will be spoiling The Quiet Boy, but if you want to read it, it takes about 15 minutes to read, and it's free to read. It's at uh, guernicamag.com, uh, G-U-E-R-N-I-C-A-M-A-G.com. Uh, the Quiet Boy, it was published in uh, on J January 28th, 2019. And a little background on Mr. Antosca himself. You are probably familiar with Nick Antosca's uh, work. He is a writer of fictions, a short story, Stories and novels and novellas in the crime and horror genres, but you most likely know him best uh, from his television work. He has been the showrunner. Uh, he's the showrunner and co-creator and creator of several different shows: uh, Channel Zero for the Sci-Fi Network, uh, The Act for Hulu. If you watched, uh, if you watched that true crime uh, miniseries, uh, The Act, and a brand new Cherry Flavor, based on the novel Brand New Cherry Flavor, uh, for which he was also the director for Netflix, uh, which he was also the co-creator and showrunner for that. So uh, and writer. So if you've seen Channel Zero, The Act, or Brand New Cherry Flavor. Three very 
very well-reviewed, well-appreciated, and very strong uh, television series, then you are familiar with his work. If you're also familiar with his work as a writer if you've seen Hannibal, if you watch the TV series The Player, for which he was also the co-producer. Uh, even if you, he was a staff writer on Teen Wolf. Like he, You have seen his stuff. You know his work. He is, he is what I appreciated about it, especially Channel Zero, which I jumped into just without even wondering, you know, without knowing anything about it. I knew this, I knew that it was based on uh, some creepy pastas, and so I was a little skeptical. But I was also like, you know what, I'm gonna give this a chance. I was also skeptical of the fact that it was on Sci-Fi, which hadn't produced anything in recent years that I was a fan of. Jumped in on Channel Zero, and I was like, not only is this a really strong horror series, this is a really strong horror series from someone who understands horror understands the the benefit of the slow burn uh the benefit of something being unnerving and unknown and that and understands the strength of what was at the time uh, the derided genre of creepypasta of understanding that there was a there was a germ there that if you if you directly translated it to to narrative storytelling wouldn't work but understood the the concepts and the elements behind what worked about creepypasta enough to translate that into into narrative storytelling into into visual uh, episodic storytelling and i was blown away by his ability to take to take those elements and and make them work on the screen uh, so but i hadn't read any of his short works until until uh, the quiet boy came out. And when it came out, I believe when it came out, it came out simultaneously with it being optioned for a, uh, with it being optioned as a movie. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that, yeah, yeah, it, it was announced that he was produced, that Guillermo del Toro, that's why we're talking about it, by the way, Guillermo del Toro was the producer, the main producer, the head producer on Antlers. And when that dropped, then the short story dropped as well. Like I, the, the timeline is weird, but they, they they were pretty much simultaneous. And as soon as that that was announced, I I sought out the the short story and read it, and was so taken by this story that I passed it right on to Willow. I was like, you have to read this. I would have passed it on even if it hadn't been attached to Guillermo del Toro because I know that Willow was a lover of short fiction, a lover of horror fiction, and I was like, this is just this is this is an this is a near perfect short story. It sets itself up, it establishes the rules, it has a payoff, and then it gets out of the way. It doesn't get in its own way at all. Uh, there is I have almost no uh, no complaints about it. And it manages to be concise, uh, 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 scary, and also have a a theme and a point that many <clears throat> excuse me that many horror short stories uh, I read don't manage to uh, to to get out there without either belaboring them, making them a little too obvious. I don't know. There was there's something about it that and it, I guess maybe it's just because the theme really resonates with me. I'm, maybe that's what it is. Uh, uh, but in any case, I'm going to run down the plot of The Quiet Boy. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, again, this is a, a just a uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. It is uh it is not there's what's what's the term, the expression? 
this is this is old man COVID brain actually. Uh, uh, since you know, I, I hate to blame it on everything, but uh, since I had COVID, it's been very hard for me to come up with words. I use and as a writer, that is that is difficult for me at times. But since since I had COVID and got over COVID, I've noticed that my vocabulary has been uh, really weirdly stunted, and I have trouble remembering words that I, I that used to just come off. Uh, off the tip of my tongue. It's funny because I can see the, I can formulate the word in my head. And as soon as I go to say it, it doesn't come out. Like it's not there. Like I want to say innovative. I want to say innovative, but I know that's not the term. It's when something is streamlined and concise, but I can't think of the word for it. But that is, that is the word I'm looking for, whatever that term is. Efficient. That's what it is. Efficient. This story is very efficient. Um, <laughs> and I would normally cut all that rambling out, but I wanted you to know that that is where my brain is and has been for the last the last few months. Uh, and it's scary and frustrating, and I don't appreciate it, brain, but thank you. So uh, the main character of this story is an elementary school teacher named Julia. She's working in a West Virginian elementary school. She's 23. She is a do-gooder. Uh, in, in the best sense of the term. She works for Teach for America. She had expected to end up in an inner city, but instead she ends up in this West Virginian town that is clearly divided into the haves and the have-nots. Uh, there are students in her classroom that come from wealthier families who have benefited from the industry in the area, and then she has students in her in her class who have clearly been the victims of the industry in the area. Uh, and, and one of the children in her class is a boy named Lucas, who is the quiet boy. He doesn't say much. Uh, in fact, most teachers he's had have thought that he just was, he's a hopeless case that he's not intelligent uh that he uh that he's just he's just one of the lost causes uh she he comes to school in filthy clothes he rarely changes his clothes that she notices that he wears the same thing almost every day she's never heard from his parents uh and uh, he seems tired he seems malnourished he he's frequently covered in filth um but she doesn't know what to do uh but one day she assigns the class uh the 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 job of t making up a story to tell and Lucas actually stays in from recess to finish his, and he illustrates it. But before, and she looks over his shoulder, and she can see him drawing what looked to be like uh, monsters. Uh, but then, when he notices her noticing, he tears the story up and throws it away. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, and there's a lot of foreshadowing in this story that is very clear and obvious. That if I felt that Nick Antosca was trying to have a big revelation, would be one thing. But because he is playing to the tropes of uh, horror short stories he's not trying to be he's not being coy about this you you understand that this is a horror story and that the boy is doing this and that you know he is he is telling the story of his life in this short story which uh julia fishes out of the garbage can pieces together and it is a story of essentially a family of monsters of of wolves uh, there's a, a, the, the large one, the middle one, and the small one. And the large one and the small one, the large one develops rabies and starts wanting to hurt people in town. It's up to the middle one to keep the peace in the family. And then the small one starts showing signs that it's also becoming a monster as well and wanting to hurt people in the town. She, she interprets this as, as the boy telling the story of his family life, which is that his father, who she knows he has a father and a younger brother, uh, the father is an abusive father, possibly an alcoholic, that Lucas has assigned himself the role of peacekeeper in the family, and that the younger brother uh, is now showing signs of aggression, just like the father does. So she interprets this as something that she needs to take care of, even though none of the other teachers in the school seem that concerned, because every child in their school 
has problems and they can't focus on every single child, unfortunately. Julia is like, you know what, I'm, if I can't do anything else, I'm going to save this one boy. The drawings that accompany the, the, the short story are magnificent, she thinks, for his age. He's a great illustrator. She hears about a an art, like an art program that she thinks that, that she, he could sign up for for free. Uh, she tells him about it. He gets excited. She's like, I'm going to save this boy by introducing him to the world of art. But unfortunately, he needs his father's signature for it. As soon as he hears he needs his father's signature, he shuts down, says forget about it, doesn't want anything to do with it. But she's not deterred. She shows up at the family house, which is boarded up from the outside, uh, thinks that's weird. Uh, also realizes that the boarding up is done haphazardly and uh, like not doesn't look like it was done by an adult, basically. It was like a child boarded up this house. She goes around to the backyard, sees a tent there, realizes Lucas has been living in the backyard, peers through the slats, the boards, and sees something moving around inside. And then she hears a child crying inside, realizes that it's probably the younger brother, and breaks into the house. The place is a, is a nightmare. It smells really bad. Uh, there's it's clearly hasn't been lived in by any person in a long time. And then she finds two corpses, uh, and a, an adult male and a small child. Realizes it has to be the father and the younger brother. And then she hears a voice in her ear that says, "One more step," encouraging her to walk further into the house. She hightails it out of there, calls the police. They come, find the two bodies. Lucas returns home. And immediately flips out because they took the bodies out of the house. And he gets really scared. And she and the police officer on duty realize or interpret this as being him scared that he's going to be taken away and put into a home. And because she wants to assuage his fears and figure out what to do with him, she volunteers to take him home to her house. Uh, but ho, 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 he's not afraid that she's going, that the, his family is, that she's not afraid, he's not afraid that he's going to be taken away from her. He is a, obviously afraid that something is going to come after him, which it does. Uh, that night, people in the area start getting killed. She tries calling the police officer because there's something weird about this boy. Uh, he is, obviously, his his he has not the, the, the time to talk to her because murders are suddenly taking place. Uh, yada, yada, yada. The father and the little brother have returned uh, in monster form and are just starting to kill people on their way to finding Lucas. Uh, they're not, they, they feed, as she learned from his short story, but not on, not on people. They feed on, on pain. They attack her next door neighbor and, uh, and landlord, and she sees them outside of her house, and they are a, an adult and a small child with uh, antlers growing out of their heads, clearly monsters, and she realizes that they were there for Lucas. Uh, and this is where the story gets really starts nailing the theme, because Lucas says they can't stand light, so they have to stay. You know, if you have light, they won't get to you. But unfortunately, everywhere they go, it affects electricity, so everywhere they go becomes dark. Uh, so she sets up three pots in her kitchen that she tells Lucas to stay in the middle of and sets fires in the pots because they can't do anything about fire. They show up in the house. They kill, like, she had ordered pizza. They kill the pizza boy. Uh, they come into the house. The fires are there. And then they say all they want is Lucas. All she has to do is give up Lucas and they'll leave. And there's this great moment at the end uh, of the short story that I absolutely adore. I mean, I adore this whole short story. She didn't move, but she looked down at Lucas. It wouldn't be hard, but then they would be gone. Frank, the father, Frank's obscene face seemed to swell and distort in the firelight. Give him to me. He's my son. 
She placed a hand on Lucas's shoulder, felt the frailness of his bones, the heat of his flesh. Lucas looked up at her. He was waiting for her to push him away. She looked up at Frank. She dug her fingers into Lucas's shoulder. She shook her head. And clearly, she gets killed. Lucas is gone. And that's the way the story ends. Someone, fi- uh, her, uh, her coworker comes to her house, finds her body. Uh, well, actually, the, the, he comes and finds the pizza boy. Then the sheriff comes and finds her. Or it's just she was all over the kitchen floor, and she was alone. And that's the way the story ends. They got Lucas, unfortunately, and they got Julia. Uh, no explanation is ever given for what really happened to the father and the son. Um, uh, all Lucas says is that he made them this way. He made it so this would happen when they die. And the only way to keep them from hurting people was to keep them inside the house. So Lucas was... Uh, she said that he always smelled like pets, and but he didn't have any pets. She found out that Lucas was bringing them neighborhood pets to eat. Or not eat, but to kill, because that's what they fed on. They fed on the pain. And once they were taken out of the house, the spell or whatever was broken, and they were able to, to rampage across the neighborhood. Now they are gone. Who knows what's going to happen to them? That's the end of the story. Uh, it's terrifying. Julie is the main character. I'm not doing it justice in telling you that... The story is perfectly paced, but what gets me about the story isn't the isn't the the sheer horror of it, which works really well. It is a creepy story. Uh, the first time I read this, I was like, "Well, shouldn't have read this at night." Like that was that was what went through my head. I read it in the middle. Like I read it. I remember I read it in bed. I was like, oh, "It's a short story." I was reading this in bed, and I was like, "That was a bad idea. That was bad. I should not have. I should not have read." the short story before I went to bed because it's very effective. But what gets me about this short story isn't, is that it's not just about the horror of what occurs. It is about the horror of being ineffective at saving someone. Julia is a, is a well-meaning as, as, as John Darniel says in, I believe the song broom people in the mountain goat song, broom people, uh, Julia is a well-meaning teacher. Uh, if you haven't heard that song, listen to it. John Darniel fills the words well-meaning teachers with about 800 different emotions. Uh, part of it is uh, the, 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 with disappointment, with, uh, with, with anger, with sadness, with appreciation. There is the, the, the knowledge that there were teachers who were trying to do well by him and other students who were in trouble but simply didn't have the knowledge, enough knowledge to actually do anything effective. And that's what Julia is. She is one of those teachers who wants so hard to do right by her students, but simply doesn't have the tools or the information to do right by this student. And in taking action, in doing what she thinks is the action needed, actually ends up making things so much worse for the child, and for the community at large. Uh, She jumps in with both feet, feels like all she has to do is show up at this house where she doesn't have the information needed, knock on the door and make everything okay. And that's really what the horror of this story is. It's the horror of jumping in to save someone and actually making things worse for everyone in the process. And And that is a bad feeling. That is a... That is... That is something that people who try to do right by others know. You understand that feeling, even if it's just in conversation form, even if it's just you 
saying something encouraging, thinking you know the right thing to say, and watching a person's face get that look of like, of disappointment, of sadness, of, oh, you don't understand what I'm going through at all, of writing something online, thinking you've written an encouraging word, and the person actually being like, you're, you're, that's not what I was saying at all. That is this in, 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 at, at its smallest level. That whole thing of like, at worst, I made you sad. At best, or at best, I be- <laughs> that's what I was saying. At best, I made you sadder. At worst, I put you in danger. At worst, I made your situation actually many times worse over. And that, I assume, is something that happens with adults in the position of helping children who are in bad situations a lot. You want to swoop in and be a, a, a superhero, but you've actually put that child into a position where they now have to contend with a parent or a caregiver who is now not only aware that they that they reached out for help or that they made themselves that they made their situation known now that child has to go home to that to that caregiver that's basically what this story is this story is is that and i think that is where it works its best as a story it is it is a story of a of a well-meaning of a well-meaning adult who wanted nothing more than to help someone and in and in her and in taking action just opened up Pandora's box and now everyone is in danger. And she says something great and brilliant. There's this exchange she has between her and Lucas. Uh they they look out the window and she sees the she sees the father and she sees the little brother outside and says they were still just standing out in the yard like hateful statues. She understood that they didn't eat in the normal sense. They didn't feed on flesh. That wasn't what he meant. They fed on pain. What are they, she whispered. How did they get like this? He did it, Lucas said. He made it so if they died, they would be like this. His voice choked off. He didn't know that if their bodies stayed in the house, they couldn't get out. You were feeding them, weren't you, she said. You were keeping them trapped in the house and feeding them. I had to, Lucas whispered. And I let them out, Julia said. Lucas didn't answer. She wanted to ask him why he hadn't warned her, told her they would be coming. But she knew the answer. It wouldn't have made any difference. She never would have believed him. And that's that's the story right there. That is the story right there. That is the horror of the story is she wanted to do right by this child. And then not only did she realize she put him in more danger, she put everyone in more danger. It's the fact that if she had known the whole story, she wouldn't have believed it anyway. That at the heart of, that at her heart, she didn't believe the children. Like she, she wasn't the kind of an adult who would have believed the children in her care in the first place. Uh, they were always in danger by being in her care. And I think that's a horrible thing to have to realize. That not only are you not a savior, you don't even have it in you to be a savior. You don't have that because you wouldn't have listened when the kids asked for help. You only wanted, you only saw what you wanted to see. And that I think is the true horror of this story. It is that, it is that realization as an adult, as a parent, as an educator, as a person with children in your life, that maybe you just don't have the part inside you that children need. Uh, and that is the horror of the quiet boy for all the quiet children in our lives, for all the ones who are quietly asking for help. 
maybe we don't have the ability to see what they need. And even if they told us to our face, here is what I need, that we might just dismiss their concerns. That's the horror of the quiet boy. Is that present in Antlers? I don't know. I haven't seen it. We will be getting to it eventually. Uh, but I just have to say that The Quiet Boy is a work of, is a, is a, is a great work of horror because it doesn't paint any, there's no, and, and, and weird horror. Uh, there's no answers in this story because that's not the point. The point is that it's, that something unusual and horrific is going on and nobody knows why. And the people who suffer the most are the people who just got in the way. So that is The Quiet Boy by Nick Antosca. Again, if you want to read it, uh, which I highly recommend, even if you listen to this without stopping and going to read it, again, it's at guernicamag.com, The Quiet Boy. It's there. Or just search The Quiet Boy by Nick Antosca. It's like the first result that comes up because it is available in full to read. Go out and read it. And uh, read, you know, Take a look at some of Nick's other works. You know, if, if you haven't seen his TV shows and you have access to them, uh, check out Brand New Cherry Flavor. Check out uh, check out uh, Channel Zero. Check out The Act. Those are those are very strong shows. Uh, 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 read his writings. Um, watch the movie The Forest. You know, but he has his novel, his short story collection, The Girlfriend Game. Uh, his novellas, The Hangman's Ritual, uh, Midnight Picnic. Check those out. Uh, they're out there. Um, I just, I really like his work. I really like his work. Uh, but otherwise, uh, thank you for so much for listening. Thank you so much for 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 supporting us. Uh, we'll be back with Willow uh, when when she gets back from 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 Italy, and we have time to sit down and watch uh, five and a half hours of a miniseries um but we'll be back and we will keep you updated on what's going on but thank you for listening thank you so much uh for joining me and putting up with our with our antics and uh and uh how do i end this by myself right um i am phil and uh how do i say, how do i end it by myself i'm phil i will and we'll see you all and we'll, and we'll check you all out when it's <laughs> it's bad it's all bad it's del toro time